Welcome to Girls' Night, the go-to podcast for women in their everything era. That wildly confusing decade-ish where we have to make so many of the most significant decisions of our lives all at the same time. Career, marriage, motherhood, and more. Thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. I'm your host, Stephanie Mae Wilson, and each week on the show, I interview some of the world's wisest women on topics that keep us up at night. You'll walk away from each episode with both clarity and confidence, knowing what your next step is and also how to take it. After all, the best girls' nights aren't just about eating pizza and sweatpants with your friends. They're about problem solving and leaning into the collective wisdom of women, and that's what this show is all about. Pull up a seat. We're so glad you're here. Let's get started. So friends, I'm so excited about today's episode. Today, we're talking about how to take charge of your finances and actually enjoy the process. I'm excited about this episode because if you're anything like me, figuring out what to do with your money, how to save, invest, spend, what not to spend, can feel a bit overwhelming at times, especially when you don't have a degree in finance or you weren't taught this information in school. Anyone else wish there was budgeting 101 class in middle school or I don't know, you know, college? But thankfully, it doesn't have to be this way. Taking charge of your finances is easier than you think, and it can actually be fun. And I have the perfect person to walk us through this. Our guest for today's episode is Katie Getty Tassin. Katie is the founder and host of the growing personal finance media company, Money with Katie. I've been following along with Katie for years now, and her advice on money has been invaluable in my journey of becoming more confident in my finances. Her content's also just so much fun. She's this dynamite combination of brilliant and hilarious. You guys are going to love hearing from her. So make sure to grab your coffee and a notepad. You're going to love this conversation. You guys, I am just like truly over the moon about who we have on the show today. I am sitting here with my new friend, Katie Gaddy Tassin. And Katie, I have been a fan of yours for like a long time. Oh my goodness. Um, so welcome to Girls Night. Really, really glad to have you here. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a what a sweet introduction. Well, I'm so happy to be here. So thank you for having me. For women who don't know you, uh, can you tell us who you are, what you do? And I'd love to hear a fun fact about you. Sure. So my name is Katie Gaddy Tossin. You said it correctly too, which I'm like, damn, I love it. You know, you know, I was nervous about that. Uh, I've said this on the, <laughs> I've said this on the show a million times. I was talking to a dear friend of mine who goes by a nickname, but has like a full name that I don't use all the time. And so I introduced yeah. her by her full name and found out that day, like years into our friendship, that I'd been mispronouncing that. Oh. That is hysterical. My husband, so Tossan is his last name. Okay. And it's so funny because he, for like his whole life, just allowed people to say it wrong. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, why is everyone calling you Tassin? He's like, oh, I don't know. It's just easier not to correct people. And I'm like, this is this. I, I thought his last name was Tassin when we first started dating. So yeah, it's just always lovely when I hear it pronounced correctly. But all that to say, uh, I'm Katie. I am 29 years old. I live in Sacramento, California. And I am married to my husband, Thomas, who is in the Air Force. And so we move around a lot. Um, we have a dog named Beans and a cat named Sam. And I'm the founder of Money with Katie, which started as a personal finance blog in my two-bedroom apartment and has now morphed into an entire multimedia operation that aims to... Um, to ask better questions about money so that we can start finding better solutions together for the things that 
ail all of us uh, as individuals and a country, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Sam, hey, right? (laughs) (laughs) He always knows. It's like clockwork. Whenever an interview starts, he's like, oh, I'm here. I'm ready for my close-up. He got really close to the (laughs) microphone. Like, I have something to say. I love that. I love that. And I'm so excited. I... I have a, like about a thousand questions to ask you, um, but tell me your fun fact first. Oh yes, I forgot my fun fact. Okay, well I'll keep it money related, okay. given the um, the theme of our conversation, which is that I've been tracking my finances, so spending, investing, net worth since 2018, and I realized the other day while I was updating my spreadsheets, all my spreadsheets, <laughs> that I have 100x my net worth since 2018, which was just mind-blowing to me. I didn't study finance in school. I had essentially zero financial training or education, and I honestly never felt like math or data in general came easily to me. So I like to think that if I can learn it, anyone can learn it. It just takes a little curiosity. I love that. I love that. I love it. Uh, I love hearing that. And I, I I didn't know that you didn't have, like, that's crazy to me to hear you say that you didn't mm-hmm. feel like math or, or uh, like data or um, things like that were, were natural gifts of yours because like they are, they totally are. But also, <laughs> but also as someone who like literally always struggled in math, that's a good reminder. Like, no, this mm-hmm. is possible. So tell us, how did Money with Katie start? I would love to hear the backstory. Yeah, because it's like, okay, well, if you didn't study this stuff, how did you? Why are you doing how this? How did this happen? Uh, how did this happen? Well, I I think it's it's helpful to set the stage, I think, for what life was like in 2020 when I started Money with Katie. So if you'll hop in your time machine with me and go back to a time that's probably not super fun to revisit, I was working full-time for an airline. I was teaching fitness classes part-time several times a week as well as doing some personal finance consulting for friends and acquaintances. Because by this point in 2020, I had gotten very interested in personal finance and had spent a couple of years learning about it and was starting to help other people with it. Just the basics, right? Like nothing nothing intense, but budgeting, little debt payoff strategies. Hey, let's get your credit card strategy locked and loaded. Like nothing that you would need any sort of formal education to teach, but just things that I noticed my friends struggled with. And that I was like, hey, I can just start helping people and we can, you know, talk through their situations together. So suffice it to say, my life was pretty nonstop from about five in the morning until nine or 10 at night, most days. So that was the environment that I was in. Well, we know what happens next. March rolls around. We have a forced shutdown. And immediately, my life kind of goes quiet. So the two industries that I'm in professionally are basically floundering because no one is getting on airplanes and no one is attending in-person fitness classes. And so I kind of spend a lot of time at home just with my own thoughts. I couldn't leave. My work from home was very... Um, sporadic and kind of minor at that point in time because we hadn't quite figured out how do we work remotely yet. So while all the executives were scrambling, we were kind of having pajama parties and watching movies and (laughs) trying not to panic. But by this point in my life, really, and in my career, I had been feeling slightly unsettled 
for months. So I always joke that this was my business's gestation period where it was wanting to come out and come through, but it was blocked by all the noise and the fact that I was just extremely busy. And so all of that rushing around and hustling was kind of obscuring the fact that I wasn't quite doing what I wanted to be doing. And so one day in April, 2020, so like very soon into, I mean, April 15th, I think is when I bought the domain. So it was literally a month of quiet and boredom for it to just kind of, you know, arrive for me. But I sat down, I made the website, moneywithkatie.com. The domain wasn't taken. I was like, that's amazing. So I'm just going to buy it. And I sat down, built the whole thing in like eight hours and time just flew, like melted away. And I remember getting up and being like, wow, I haven't felt that way in a really long time. Like I cannot remember the last time I was so engrossed in something that time felt like it stopped. And so I started to think, well, hey, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. Like maybe I should be, you know, working in some capacity professionally uh, that pertains to finances. And so I started applying for jobs in personal finance editorial. And I made it really far in the process with one particular personal finance media company. And the salary was like $20,000 more than I was making at the time. And I was so committed to getting this job and so in love with and attached to the idea of getting this job. And I lost the position. They chose the other person in the final round. And it was devastating. But I talked to one of my friends, Christy, after the fact, and I was kind of sharing this with her, how I was very, I felt very rejected. And I felt very like, man, I thought I was, I thought I was shifting onto the right path. Like, I thought that I was finally doing something to address that unsettled feeling that I have in my professional life. And I thought this was it. And like, now I feel kind of lost again. And I don't know where to go from here. And she kind of counseled me in a way that I really needed at the time, which was just, hey, this is just a redirection. Like, you're on the right path. That particular avenue is just not the one that you should be on. This is a redirection to something else. And it's getting you to think bigger, right? It's making you think about all the possibilities that your life has that you maybe have been closed off to until now. So, That was the impetus, I think, this realization that, hey, I can do this alone. I don't need this other company to be my stamp of approval or to give me this job. I I already have the website. I can write about money for myself. And so I kind of made this promise that I'm gonna write two blog posts a week for a year. And if at the end of that year, no one cares and no one's reading it and I have not figured out how to monetize it, then I will go back to caring about my career uh, in user experience and I will double down on on earning more money that way and, and really make a go at that. But that's not what happened. Within two years, I was selling it to Morning Brew in a like a seven figure three year deal. And so that's now where I work. I run the business as part of Morning Brew's brand, who is now the owner of Money with Katie. But that's that's how we got here. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Does anyone else feel like they could use more time in the day? There are things you want to accomplish, places you want to go, people you want to connect with, but it feels like you're always falling behind. Something I'm learning recently, well, always, is that none of us can do it all. We all have to figure out what's most important to us, but doing that alone can feel scary and overwhelming. Well, friends, this is one reason why I've come to love therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. 
You're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. You frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. You really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing I don't have to. I am at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, that's easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the therapist you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're looking to sort through your priorities this year, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Learn to make time for what's most important with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. In the last few years, I've prioritized purchasing food products with higher quality ingredients for my family and myself. Products that have more of the real stuff and less of the fake stuff. And it's been so much easier to make that happen since I found Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my new go-to for buying groceries and household items like vitamins and personal care products. The best part is I can order everything online from my sofa and it's quickly shipped right to my doorstep, saving me so much time. If this is your first time hearing about them, Thrive Market only carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, making it so much easier to maintain a healthier lifestyle. You can even use their on-site filters to fit your lifestyle needs. For example, you can look for low sugar alternatives, gluten-free items, or organic kid snacks. They have Annie's, Once Upon a Farm, and Dave's Organic Bread, all staples in our weekly grocery trip. But they also have brands and products I've never heard of, which is awesome because I'm always looking for healthy and delicious things to feed the girls and myself. Thrive Market is not only a one-stop shop for basically everything on my grocery list, but it gave me tons of ideas for products I didn't even know about. And by becoming a Thrive Market member, I save money on all of my grocery orders. Along with saving money, you're also helping a family in need with Thrive Market's one-for-one membership matching program. So if you join, they give. Friends, I seriously look forward to my Thrive Market box every time. They have an incredible product selection with brands that are better for you and for the planet. 
Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash girlsnight for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash girlsnight. Thrivemarket.com slash girlsnight. That is so there I love I love hearing that. Um there are a couple things that I like wanted to point out. One of them is I think that we are so I am so quick to face a rejection like that and go, "Oh, I guess this is the wrong path." And like that's not what that means. But but of but and we can see it in someone else's story. We can go, "Well, okay, maybe that job wasn't right for you, but you found something that made time melt." That's amazing. Like this, just because that person said, hey, we're going to go with, you know, candidate B instead of you doesn't mean that this is the wrong path for you. But like, it is so hard for us to see that in ourselves. And so I just wanted to point that out because I know that there are people listening who are like, well, I got rejected. So this means this is the wrong thing. Like, no, that means that's the wrong job, not the wrong path. And how powerful too, to have a friend that can recognize that in you and can go, no, no, no. Like, you you just don't see what you're capable of yet, but I do. And I know that this is not the end of this road for you. You just have to go shift your focus a little bit. I mean, what a gift, right? Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I, I love is that you gave yourself a year and you said, I'm just gonna really <laughs> go for this for a year. And like, that's, that's what I did with this podcast. I mm. started this show, I think seven years ago now, which is wild. I know, I don't, I, I, I can't believe it. Um, but... I didn't know that I was going to be, I didn't know I was going to like this. I was so intimidated by the technology of it and the, I don't know, I like the unfilteredness of it. And I didn't know if anyone was going to like it or listen. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was going to enjoy it. And so I was like, I'll give it one season. And I decided that a season was 12 episodes. I'm like, okay, I'll give it 12 episodes. And by episode like three, I was already planning for season two. And, but I just, I love that, (laughs) like, I think that that's a really great strategy to be like, here's a here's a chunk of time that I'm going to fully devote to this. And at the end of it, we'll see what happens. But like, we're not signing on forever. You don't have to sign on forever. You can sign on for a season and see what happens. I still have to remind myself of that all the time. Same. It's like nothing that I'm doing is is permanent. It's all temporary. So yeah. if you need to make a change, you can. It's not like the the commitment device, so to speak, of like, okay, well, if I start doing this, it means I have to do it forever. No, no, no. Not at all. And like just giving yourself that amount of time. Like I'm going to use this as an experiment, which takes the pressure off of the result. I'm going to do an experiment and see what happens if I really go for this for three months. And then at the end of it, I like, I think also I, if something doesn't go well right away, like right away, right away, again, I feel like that's rejection or I feel like that's failure or something. And so to be reminded that like, no, this is going to take a minute. So let's give this a year (laughs) and see if we've gained any traction, not a week. Like you're not going to gain traction in a week. Actually give it a full year and see how it goes. I love that. Beautiful. Um, Okay, so I have a bazillion finance questions to ask you. But before we do... There is something that I've heard you talk about that I've never heard anyone else talk about. You know where this is going. Um, I, this probably blew up for you. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm guessing. Uh, 
This is like so genius and something that so many of us wrestle with. You talk about a concept called the hot girl hamster wheel. (laughs) And I need to know, I want to know what it is, what you've learned about it and kind of what's happened in your life as you've become more aware of it and like jumped off of it in some ways. The hot girl hamster wheel, baby. Yes. So this is a phrase that I kind of coined just privately for myself back in 2018 when I was first getting interested in personal finance. And it, it's a phrase that describes the litany of hot girl expenses that I felt tethered to at the time. So we call it a hamster wheel because each dollar that I spent functioned as a commitment to spend more in the future because the hair was going to grow out. You know, the blonde was going to grow out. The nails were going to chip. My body was slowly going to reject all of these mutations that I am going to have to keep paying to re-up, right? And it was interesting because similarly, I noticed, despite my entrenchment at the time in the personal finance world as a consumer of this content, that nobody was really talking about it in the personal finance space. And I was like, why is that? Why, Why can I not find anything? You know, I can find benchmarks for how much I should spend on housing. I can find benchmarks for what I should spend on my car, what I'm eating, my grocery bill, my dining out. But like, why is no one talking about the gel manicure budget? Like, where's that going to go? Because at the time, I mean, I realized I was spending 10% of my take-home pay on beauty expenses every month. And so for a sense of scale, 10% of your take-home pay is like the upper limit of what they suggest spending on a car each month. So I was like, oh God, like I am really over the top here, but I didn't feel over the top because everyone else around me was doing the same thing. I'm like, and you probably weren't over the top because the things that you were, like you probably were saying no to half of the things that were coming across your path. Like, sure, absolutely. I mean, I've never, I've never got, you know, I didn't even end up venturing into the world of like injectables or the more um, esthetician type Uh, beauty treatments that can be quite expensive. So, you know, it's not like I was that over the top, but like it, in the context of what I was earning, it certainly was. And so I realized though that part of the reason no one was talking about it is because all the people that I was reading and listening to were men and none of them really grapple with these things. And so it kind of became clear to me pretty quickly that these norms are financially oppressive to women but I became more interested in the years that followed about where the norms come from and the way that they are actually wealth signals themselves. So most times the trends that are trendy indicate that you have the time, the disposable income, the energy to invest in making yourself more beautiful. And there's a larger conversation to be had there about why or why not that's... um, really damaging, but the average American woman who spends money on beauty and self-maintenance spends more than $3,500 per year. Now, that's enough that if it were invested instead in just like a cheap index fund for 40 years, so like an entire career, that would give you an extra million dollars at retirement. So I like to say this conversation is worth having because these are not costs at the margins. These are retirement supporting amounts of money. Now, you'll see if you're watching the video, I still highlight my hair. Sometimes I still get manicures, but I have cut back my own beauty spending by around 50%. And I started really interrogating what the messages 
I was sending to myself were in upholding such an onerous ritual, which at the time was quite onerous. It was very time-consuming. It was very expensive. And it ate up a lot of mental energy too. I was spending a lot of my own precious brain bandwidth on like the scheduling gauntlet that is making sure you are going to all these appointments and scheduling them again. And then you're blocking out the time after work or before work or on the weekend. I mean, what was that suggesting to my psyche about how enough or not enough I am when I am subjecting myself to all of these things that is sometimes expensive, sometimes painful, often time consuming? Um, and so I just think it's an, it's a relationship that is worth interrogating and, and not every woman will, this will not resonate with every woman. Not everybody had such a, a fraught relationship with this type of spending or, you know, their appearance. But I grew up in the Midwest and then moved to the South for college and worked in the South for a while. And the, um, I would say that the, the beauty regimens, rituals, expectations for women in the South are quite steep. Um, and the culture very much places an emphasis on being put together and being beautiful and, and how that is a primary uh, uh, desirable quality, we'll say, for women to have. And so I had very much bought into that. And so the last couple of years have been divesting from those systems in some ways, but also just questioning hey, let me keep making sure that these things that I'm doing, I'm engaging in them because I actually want to be and because they are uh, beneficial to me in some way and and not that I'm, I don't know, making it making it worse in some way for someone else. Like, does, does me walking down the street or having this platform now where I am in front of, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people if I wear eye makeup one day, hey, what color is that? Hey, what kind of eyeliner did you use? I mean, like the choices that you make are going to influence and impact the people around you and the women around you. And so I think that I'm ultimately more conscious now of how the aesthetic choices that I am making are perhaps influencing the people that I come into contact with and, and how it's going to make other women feel too and whether it's going to urge them to feel like they need to go now you know, invest more money in how they look. And it's it's a bit of a vicious cycle and it's it's not, it ultimately doesn't really come down to individual choice, but I do think that our choices impact the, they have ripple effects, right? So we have to be conscious of them. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I remembered you saying that hit home, I mean, you did a full episode on this on your show and we'll link to it and it was so good. But one of the things that I remember you saying, and I'm this isn't an exact quote, but you talked about how like pretty quickly after your nails were done or your hair was done or your tan was applied or whatever, you were immediately thinking like, okay, well, is it fading? <laughs> or like, are they mm -hmm. growing out? Or like mm -hmm. that it, it really did, it didn't satisfy for very long. No, it requires constant maintenance. Yeah. Same with, I mean, like anti-aging is a perfect example of this. That entire industry has convinced people, well, has convinced women, let's be, let's call it for what it is, that they should not be aging. And guess what? Aging is a process that you cannot stop. So if you have bought into the idea that you need to be anti-aging, you are now a consumer for life. And the amount of energy and, and the, the satisfaction that you pointed out such a perfect word for that because that's always how I joke. It's like I would get all these things done and then I would like sit on the couch and just bask in my hot girl status and be like, I'm so blonde and so tan and my nails are so nice and my makeup's so great. And then like a couple of days would pass and I'd be like, 
I don't feel any different. Like I gotta, I gotta go re up now because I, I, it's, it's you know the hit doesn't last very long. No. Nope. And I love that you looked ahead. I'm so glad you shared those numbers because I, I was going to ask that when you look ahead, like not only are you choosing one thing over another, you know, if getting your nails done costs a hundred bucks, like what could that hundred dollars go to? Is your having your nails done going to offer you more satisfaction, more joy, more relaxation, whatever the thing is, then something else would be able to buy you with that $100. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just a today question. But also if you were to take that money and do something else with it, could it like, is it more valuable to you use differently? Really? Totally. And I think generally... It's about opportunity cost. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think for me, it like, it generally is, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. other than my blonde hair. That is, <laughs> I was born blonde. It started to get a little bit darker as I got older. And so I'm like, nope, blonde for life. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my hill. You know what? I, I totally, I totally hear you. And I, I feel that. I think um, there's a section too, like in the, in the episode where I basically say, if the pedicure chair is the only place where you feel God's peace, then you keep getting those pedicures. <laughs> like you do what you got to do, right? I'm not here to take that away from you. Just to have you ask the question and go, am I getting something out of this that is better than, like to your point, something else that I could be spending this money on or investing for the future? Or like would the financial peace and security of knowing that like I'm taken care of in the future maybe give me more, uh, give me more of an ROI than, than the pedicure will? Maybe, maybe not. But it's a decision that everyone should be making and actively choosing, not just kind of falling into because that's what the norms prescribe. 100%. 100%. 100%. You've been learning about personal finance and teaching about personal finance and like really just publicly discussing it for years. I would love if you could give us kind of a state of the nation when it comes to women and our both our relationship with money and our knowledge about money. Because there are some things that I've learned on your show that I don't think... I don't think everyone knows this. Like not only the mm-hmm. the like strategies or the concepts yeah. that you're teaching. But I don't think that, I, I don't know how many women know where we are versus where mm. men are. Sometimes mm. when it comes mm-hmm. to our financial literacy or our like bank accounts, really. So give us, sure, give us kind of a yeah. state of the nation. State of the nation. Great question. The good news is that we have made absolutely tremendous strides. Like fewer than 50 years ago, a woman could be legally denied a loan or a line of credit if her husband or father was not signing off on it. So exponential progress in that regard. That said, the progress in closing both the gender wage and gender wealth gaps, which to your point about this not, this parlance is very common in the financial world, but I don't know how common it is outside of that world. So the general, we'll say, state of things numbers-wise there is that the average woman or the median woman who works full-time makes about 83% of what the average or median man who works full-time earns. For the wealth gap, it's a little worse. It's that the average or median woman has about 55% as much wealth as the average or median man. And these numbers are, I think, as of 2023. So, the the progress in closing those gaps has stagnated in the 21st century. So over the last decade or two, 
we've really seen progress there slow. And there are a few reasons for that, but I would point to a couple huge needle movers. First and foremost, women still bear the brunt of the unpaid domestic labor in their homes, which sounds like a very fancy sentence, but it basically just means if life were a big giant group project and your typical heterosexual married couple were you know, running the home and working full-time, both of them, the women are bearing a disproportionate amount of work and doing a disproportionate amount of work in that big group project. Again, at the statistical aggregate, this is not going to be true in every single home, but we see this time and time again in the Bureau of Labor Statistics time use studies. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they conduct studies every single year on how Americans spend their time. They study all sorts of groups. They study different ages, different races, different genders, different employment statuses. But they find that women spend, on average, around 7.8 hours per day doing paid labor. And men spend around 8.3 hours per day doing paid labor. So call it half an hour more. But women are also relaxing less on average per day than men. So women spend about 4.8 hours per day doing leisure activities compared to men's 5.6 hours per day. So, a, you know, a little less than an hour less. What are women doing with that time? Well, we know what they're doing. They're doing unpaid labor. Your average woman in a heterosexual marriage who works full-time even those who are the breadwinning spouses in their homes do more of the unpaid labor and caretaking work around their home. So we're talking about roughly 10 and a half hours more per week. That's more than an entire extra working day. Obviously, this is going to impact how women earn. Like we're kidding ourselves if we if we think it wouldn't. Like I think it also drives the perception about what a woman's role is and how she should be paid for her paid labor. So I, I do think that the reason this persists is really just because of inertia. Like women were second-class citizens in this country and are still second-class citizens in some parts of the world until very, very recently, historically speaking, relatively speaking. And, you know, I do think we're seeing that education gap as far as financial literacy. I think we're seeing that close, which is very, very encouraging. Like women are not on average much less financially literate than men are. It turns out that most people are just pretty financially <laughs> illiterate. Like, generally people are. Okay. But there's not a huge, huge gap between men and women anymore when it comes to what they know. So I think that it's 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 interesting because I do think that more education is the answer in some ways, but I don't think that a lack of education is the cause, if that makes sense. So... That's the kind of men and women, the, the disparity between them. But I do think that there's something else at play here, which is that the working and middle classes in general have lost a lot of ground since roughly the 1980s. So income inequality, wealth inequality, very real. The gaps between the haves and the have-nots in the U.S., they've never been wider. So I mean, it was not this bad even in the Gilded Age. There are three major reasons for this that I can see that I think have a ton of trickle-down effects. One is the declining power of labor. So that means like collective bargaining has declined. You've got the people that are actually doing the work for companies um, not capturing 
as much of the gains as they should be or as they used to. Then you've got things like corporatism, which is basically the fact that we have decided legally that we're going to treat corporations as though they are people. This means they can have an outsized influence on policy. They can impact politics in ways that benefit them. Like one of the weirdest things that has happened in constitutional law in the United States was that corporations gained personhood under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So that also is kind of driving this issue. And then thirdly, just the broad financialization of everything. So shareholder prominence is another way to think of that. The fact that a big public company today cares more about its shareholders than its employees or customers or its product. Well, that's obviously a problem. And part of the reason they care more is because the executives who run these companies have primarily stock-based compensation. So they are incentivized to make short-term decisions that pump the stock price and mean that they earn $30 million a year instead of $20 million a year. Meanwhile, their average employee is making 350 times less than that. So I think your average person is struggling to make things work, um, not just your average woman, because an incredibly disproportionate amount of the gains are just concentrated at the very, very tippy top. Um, but I do think that women are still kind of fighting the uphill battle of they're in that general economic environment, that general business environment, while also still fighting for, you know, Sorry, my cat's attacking me. <laughs> Fighting for um, broad equality overall and, and the ability to, um, you know, really benefit from, from their, their paid labor and not, and not do this disproportionate amount of, of unpaid labor, whether physical or emotional. So I'd say that's kind of, that's, that's where I think of as the state of the nation now. And I think that the good news is that more Americans are starting to understand the ways in which the system is broken so that we can start agitating for change. But obviously at the individual level, like a certain level of wealth and stability is necessary in order to begin pressing for those changes in a meaningful way. Like you have to, not to use the over the uh, overly popular airplane analogy, but like you do have to put your own mask on first before you can start thinking about these things. And so I think that's the gap that financial literacy can fill at the individual level. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that like high level view. And and I really, um, I'm trying to think of where I, I it's, that's just really helpful. That's really helpful. Mm, um, thank you. I know that for me, personal finance is, you know, I've, I've found myself, frustrated that these aren't things that I was taught in school. Like I learned mm -hmm. how to write a check, but not anything else. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I learned how to balance a checkbook, but not how to budget. And like, don't even get me started on taxes because it makes my head <laughs> explode. Um, but really in recent years, I've succeeded and struggled um, depending mm -hmm. on, on the season. I've had to figure out what it looks like to manage a household, manage a budget, manage like credit cards, do I, don't I, how do we pay them off? Mm. What what happens with the whole points thing? Very helpful. Um, just took a trip to Spain, all on points. Um, oh, love it. But really like this has had to, this is a, a must figure out project that has landed mm -hmm. in my lap in the last however many years being an adult. And I, in probably to a lesser degree than you, have really enjoyed it. Um, mm. And like, I'm not particularly good at it or anything, but I just, the more that I learn, the more empowered I feel and the more excited I get about 
having uh, having some control over my finances instead of feeling like my yeah. fin- my finances control me. But I have noticed that like there are so many things that I never learned and that my friends have never learned. And there are some things that some of my guy friends or my husband seems to know in a different way than I do. Mm. And stocks, uh, investing in that way is still confusing. I could talk about yeah. real estate investment all day. It, it just is, they're just, I've just been learning a lot lately and, and, but also noticing what the people around me know and don't know and kind of what they've learned along the way too. And so I'm really, I'm glad for that. Um, high level picture. Where are some places, you know, you mentioned that financial literacy, like we have to learn this stuff if we're going to be better at it. Yeah. Um, where are some places that we can start for like super easy, like teach it to me like I'm five, <laughs> personal <laughs> finance 101. Yes. Where do we start? So I, I think um, it's funny. I love that question because I think what it gets at is this hunger for simplicity. Like, Tell me the main things I need to know, which is a beautiful thing. Because once you start to build that foundation, you are suddenly going to have somewhere to put all the new information you're learning. So in other words, when you don't know the basics, it's very hard to assimilate new information into your knowledge matrix because you don't know how it relates to anything else. Like you hear jargon and you're like, okay, how does that jargon relate to this jargon? And why does it matter for me, right? So- I think that hunger for simplicity is a good one. And also, I think it's good to acknowledge the fact that if you're sitting here listening to this podcast, I can almost guarantee that you are smart and capable enough to go way beyond the basics. Like if you, if your life has produced you as a person and you're sitting here listening to a podcast like this one that tells me some things about you that I feel pretty comfortable making that bet. So we have a great free mini email course called Personal Finance 101. If you go to moneywithkatie.com and then click the button that says start here in the corner, it'll introduce you to some of the most basic topics that you should know about. And of course, we we make it fun because it is fun. It's fun to get familiar with money. But you just sign up via email and then we'll send you five or six little lessons to get you started and give you options of like, okay, now if you want to go learn about investing or if you want to go learn about early retirement or travel rewards, you can you have the option to go do that too. All of it's free. If you want to read a book, I think um, the book Fiscal Feminist by my friend Kim Davis, it is a great read for beginners, but it's also very thorough and covers a lot of information that I find most personal finance books leave out, especially for women, uh, because they she gets into topics around, you know, what legally happens to your personhood when you get married and why is a prenuptial agreement beneficial for all parties and why does everyone actually have one anyway that the state is writing for you and what should you know? you know, about your accounts and what you have access to and things that I think a lot of women, particularly the women that I hear from who are in their 50s or 60s who reach out to me, nine times out of 10, the people that are reaching out to me in their 50s and 60s panicking are women who got married young, let their husbands deal with the money their entire lives, are now divorced and are going, oh my God, I don't know what I have. I don't know what to do. Like I'm trying to retire and I don't, I have no idea what's going on. And so I think that getting involved in your finances much earlier in life can prevent a lot of downstream pain. 
whether you ever split up from your spouse or not. I mean, women outlive men, so you're probably at some point going to be doing this on your own no matter what. But um, it's it's just a great read. So I think that's Fiscal Feminist by my friend Kim Davis if you want to read a book. But like I said, we have a lot of little free mini lessons on our site that are going to kind of take your hand and just guide you through a lot of the information and say, if you want to learn more about that, that's over here. Here's a little something about this. This is what you need to know. Um, But the good news is that like 20% of the information is going to get you 80% of the way. So (laughs) it's not like you need to be a scholar in finance to to maintain a healthy financial life. I love that. This is, I don't know if this this question is going to make sense, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. If we're sitting here going, like budgeting is overwhelming. I like, Mm. I know I owe some money on my credit card. Like, uh, I know Mm. I need to figure all this out. Retirement, like I haven't started saving. I don't know. If we're feeling that way, what is at stake if we don't actually start to figure this out? Like mm-hmm. really lay it out. What what are we risking both today, but also down the way if we don't start to take some ownership over our money? Or is this something that we can just kind of like kick the can down the road and it'll all be fine? <laughs> well, I mean, you could risk it. I don't know that I'd encourage you to risk it and kick the can down the road. But I almost want to take that and like flip it on its head and go, what do you stand to gain? Love it. Like, what is the life that you could be living that is within your grasp already? Like, doesn't require you to get a different job, doesn't require you to get another job, doesn't require you to make any more money. Does I mean, like, really, let's talk about how you can just put systems in place that can really open up the aperture of your life to live so much bigger and grander because I think that vision of what your life could be where, I mean, even if you're just listening to this on a walk or driving or sitting like cleaning your house, it's like take a moment and just pause and think, how would it feel right now to feel totally in control of my finances and to feel totally comfortable with them and familiar with them and to see them as a means that are going to drive my life forward and something that I am commanding. It's not commanding me. Like, what would that feel like? What would that look like? You know, what would it look like to take an extra trip every year? How would it feel to know that you're going to retire with $2 million? I mean, these are all things that with really like a weekend's worth of, of sitting down and going through things and taking it one step at a time, you you can absolutely make that happen for yourself. And so I think sometimes the it's easier to focus on like the risk and the downside and like kind of the scary parts of not getting it right. But I think when you're trying to motivate yourself to take action, particularly when you're in that frazzled place of like, it feels like there are a million places to start I'm not sure where to start, which by the way, we'll go over that in the 101 course. The the best thing you can do is paint that better vision for yourself and go, okay, that's where I'm trying to get. And if I just do A, B, C, and D, I'm gonna take it one step at a time. This month, I'm gonna worry about A. I'm not gonna even think about B, C, and D. Next month, I'm gonna think about B once A is, you know, tied together. Then I'll get to C and then I'll get to D, but I don't have to do all of it right now. I just have to pick the one thing that's stressing me out most and let's start right there. Yeah. Beautiful, right? Something you may not know about me is that I'm fairly particular when it comes to fragrances, especially the ones I have in my home. 
Don't get me wrong, I love lighting candles, but a lot of the ones I've found in stores have overpowering scents and use chemicals that end up giving me a headache. Plus, I learned that the candle industry contributes to a large amount of carbon emissions and toxicity in our air. That's why I've recently made the switch to Notes Candles, which also happens to be today's Girls' Night sponsor. I love Notes because their scents are high quality but don't smell overly sweet or chemically. But what's even more amazing is that they are on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels with their more earth-friendly option. Did you know that there are almost 2 billion candles sold each year? And almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? Talk about wasteful. But thankfully, Notes does things differently with their refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessels again and again and again. I love this because it's way more sustainable than buying a new candle jar every time you go to the store. And you don't have to feel guilty about throwing your old candle jars in the trash. Plus, it's so easy to do and actually really fun. You just place the wick they provide you in your reusable notes jar, fill it up with their wax beads, light your candle, and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. Once you're ready for a new candle, you just repeat the same steps. They have 13 incredible fragrances to choose from, which are all handcrafted by fragrance experts at Notes Home Base in South Carolina. I am obsessed with their vanilla and pepperwood scent. It's cozy and warm and perfect for a movie night with your friends. But they also have other amazing fragrances like citrus and fresh basil, pistachio and rose water, and bamboo and water lily. I cannot wait to try one for every new season. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. Make the switch and build a starter kit. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code GIRLSNIGHT at notescandle.com slash girlsnight. Just use code GIRLSNIGHT when placing your order. That's code GIRLSNIGHT at notescandle.com slash girlsnight. Give me an example of like what a system could look like because that's been one of the things. I feel like that was like, that's yeah. maybe the theme of like this decade for me is, mm. is it's not my word for the year. It's my word for like my whole life. If I can do something <laughs> right once and have it just exist, then there, like it clears space in my brain so that I can do yeah. something either I want to do or like tackle a new problem. And I love it. I hate things that I have to just do over and over and over again. So like give an example of, of what a system can system. look like. I love it. All right. Let's break the system down into a few different routines. So we'll say daily, monthly, and annually things that you can be doing that will keep you on the right track and kind of keep the system running. Um, familiarity breeds comfort, right? So I think this idea that which again, by the way, this I, I feel really strongly about these things because it used to be my life. And so I know how they felt. I remember getting Discover card statements at the end of the month and going, oh my gosh, surely I've been defrauded. Like <laughs> someone has my credit card. And then I sit there and go over every charge and go, oh, nope, that was me. That was also me. Oh, forgot about that. That was me. Like, I have been there. I lived in that state for years. And so I, I know how sometimes it feels like it's easier to be like, I'm just not going to look. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to look. Um, but familiarity breeds comfort. So 
when you're unfamiliar with these things, you're only going to grow more uncomfortable. And the way to solve that feeling and to become comfortable is to get familiar. So a couple easy things, systems you can put in place today. The thing that I do daily, every single day, is I check my spend tracking app. I like the app Copilot Money, but there are plenty of them. There's Monarch Money. There's You Need a Budget. There used to be Mint. Mint is gone now. But anyway, it's an app that's going to basically hook up to your credit cards, your checking accounts, and it's going to aggregate all your purchases in one place. So I don't know about you. I have a lot of credit cards. I make purchases and transact in many different places. And so if I had to log into eight different accounts every day to be like, is this charge here? Like, oh, what did I spend on? What? Like, I don't have time for that. Neither do you. But if I can spend a single minute, and I actually tracked this once, I looked at my screen time in this app on my phone for a week, and it was like seven minutes of screen time this week. I'm like, cool, it's a minute a day. I go in, I go, okay, what are the three things that I bought today? Are they all in the right category? Great, Mark is reviewed. Like, let me just make sure that everything is getting filtered into the right places. It takes basically no time. It's pretty much entirely automatic, but it's gonna give you that foundation of good data. Then monthly, at the end of the month, I'm going to spend about half an hour on the last day of the month just reviewing my numbers. How much did I earn this month? What did I spend and on what? What did I save and invest and where did I save and invest it? And what is my net worth? What's my assets that I own minus the liabilities that I owe? I created a product for myself that I use. It's called a wealth planner. It guides me through this process and turns all of this data into something useful for myself. But I started selling it a few years ago because it was so helpful for me. And now it's like our flagship best-selling product. So we redo it every year, revamp it, add enhancements. But anyway, it basically, you can even, if you want to make your own, go onto our YouTube channel and search like 2024 wealth planner tutorial, and it'll show you exactly how it works so you can see what I'm tracking. But then it's basically giving me this beautiful amount of information that I can now derive insights from. So it's very hard as a human being, particularly those of us that are not great or gifted at things like math, which I can get by, but like calculus was very hard for me. Like I, I, don't, I don't see patterns and numbers and I can't intuit these things. Whereas when you have data, now you have something to go off of and every single year, no matter what, Stephanie, it is insane. Every single year, when I go through this information, I go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. Like, I sat here and spent a minute a day tracking this spending and I still am blown away by why, what I am seeing in these annual trends and now I can make better, different decisions. So I'm gonna sit down at the end of the year, I'm gonna spend a couple hours going through these monthly reviews, looking at that year in review tab if you have a wealth planner and looking at the big picture and saying, okay, what was my overall save rate for the year? How did my net worth change? What are my trouble spots? What informed financial goals do I wanna set for myself? And kind of like we said, these things take time. Sometimes it does take time. Sometimes it takes months and months of doing this to start to notice, ah, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, I'm actually saving more money than I thought, but it's all just sitting there in cash. So maybe I should be doing something that's gonna move the needle a little bit more. Maybe I should be investing that money, or maybe I should be, you know, I have this credit card debt. Why don't I just pay that off? Like, I've got the cash sitting here. I'm, I'm clearly able to save, um, which is what I found. I thought I was living paycheck to paycheck. It's because I wasn't tracking anything. So any money that was in my checking account was fair game. But once you kind of start to understand the bigger picture, then it's like, all right, well, I need to start investing. I clearly can, because look at the savings account that I'm just 
shuffling money into every month, um, I'm going to set up an automatic transfer for the day or two after payday for an amount that I'm comfortable with so that every single time I get paid, the next day that money is leaving my account and going into that investment account. And maybe I'll use a company like Betterment or Wealthfront that invested for me. So I don't even have to worry about the holdings. I just answer some questions and it's going to do it for me. But it's very hard to know what the right step is until you have a good sense of that big picture. So I think these routines that take the guesswork out of it, take the decision fatigue out of it, and just get you in a place where you are able to pull valid and meaningful insights out of your existing behavior is going to guide the next step. And kind of getting clear on that vision first and being like, what would I want my life to look like can be a very powerful motivator to um, get you to sit down and do it. Yeah. I love that you said um, uh, familiarity. What'd you say? Familiarity? Familiarity breeds comfort. Familiarity breeds comfort. And I like Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that I'm just going to think about about everything because that's so true. If you... Like the more you kind of shove something to the side and go, okay, I'm just not going to look. I'll just look later. I'll look later. Like the bigger it gets, the scarier it gets. But the the more you just kind of like face it and look at it and practice, like it gets easier and it gets better and less intimidating. And um, I I just, I love that. I'm going to think about that a lot. So one of the things that we have been talking about in my community and something that we're going to be talking about a lot this year um, is this idea that a beautiful life is not one size fits all, um, especially with something that feels a bit foreign and out of reach to us, like personal finance. I feel like it's it's easy to feel like there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. I'm guessing you've gotten to see people do things in a whole bunch of different ways when it comes to their finances, like according to their values. Is that the case? And can you give us some... <laughs> some uh, just examples to kind of get our minds, our wheels turning? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there are limitless possibilities here and ways to create financial health. Even in this conversation, we've both kind of inadvertently demonstrated that. I prioritize investing in the stock market. You prioritize investing in rental properties. We're both creating wealth in two different ways, in ways that suit us, right? I spend a lot of money on my house and the food that I eat. I have friends that live in very small apartments and, you know, don't spend very much money on food, but spend a boatload of money on travel and shopping. So there's no one-size-fits-all answer. But there are some fundamental guiding truths that I think can help shape our decisions and give us some broad parameters to work within. Because typically, to me, freedom without any sort of boundary or structure can create that sense of like chaos and unease. So I think in general, you want to shoot to save around 20% of your income. And when I say save, that can mean different things. If you're building an emergency fund, I mean literally save it. Save it, put it in a savings account, put it somewhere liquid that you can access it. If you already have an emergency fund, a cash cushion, right, some cash on the side that you can tap when things go wrong, Then if I'm saying save, I'm really saying invest 20% of your income. Go put that money to work for you in a way that feels good to you. If you are paying off high interest debt, when I'm saying save, I'm saying put 20% of that income toward the high interest debt. 
And, you know, some activity, though, that's going to boost your net worth and going to benefit future you, I say shoot for 20 if you can swing it. If you can do more, great. And then with the remaining 80% that you're spending, really work at generating the best ROI possible with that remaining 80% so that you're not wasting your money, your precious life energy on things that are not going to bring you joy or make the world around you better. So you want every dollar that you are working to bring in to give you a really high return on investment, whether that's a literal investment or investment in peace of mind or an investment in an amazing experience with your family, or, I mean, an investment in a great pair of shoes. I got a lot of shoes. I love shoes. (laughs) To me, those are an investment. They bring me a lot of joy. But you want it to either make your life that it's, you know, creating for you now better or the life that it can create for you later better. Um, But I think that starts with just some general... I don't want to say self-respect, but in some ways, to me, that financial care is a beautiful way to respect yourself and to show yourself that you take your own work and energy seriously and you take your you you honor this life that you're living and you want to make it as good as possible for yourself and the people around you and like what what more literal way to do that than by you know creating some some wealth and prosperity for yourself I love that Last, okay, I said that that was my last question, but just one more. <laughs> Do you, um, one of the ways that I'm, one of the one of the ways that I am consistently inspired in life is through my girlfriends. That's why I started Girls mm. Night is just because at dinners with friends and at Girls Nights with friends and even in my text threads with friends, that's where I work out some of the biggest problems and um, also feel the most inspired. That's where I get like my very best ideas is by watching my friends live so brilliantly. Is there like a money move or a career move or something that you've seen a woman in your life or, you know, even just like in your in your field of view make that you were like, oh, that's so creative or that's so cool or like, I want to do things that way? Oh, I love that question. I think there's this this concept is, is I've heard it described as expanders, people that kind of show you what's possible because you see yourself in them and you say like, well, they're no, they're no better than me. Like if they can do it, I can do it. And I love, I kind of in my personal life call them muses. I'm like women that are like living out things that I admire and that I want to emulate. And so one woman who comes to mind who just inspires the heck out of me is Chelsea Fagan. So she runs an independent media company that she's the founder and CEO of, but she pays herself the fifth highest salary in the company. And they have a very egalitarian pay structure where, you know, no one is making exponentially more than anyone else. They do profit sharing so that everybody is benefiting from the profits they're generating. They don't prioritize growth of the business at all costs. They prioritize the well-being of their team. So they get six weeks of paid vacation. They get a generous paid uh, parental leave. They get four-day work weeks. Like every Friday, they don't have to work. So she really puts her money where her mouth is and goes against the grain of that growth at all costs mentality. And as an entrepreneur, I find her very awe-inspiring and also just, it, it, It's amazing to me how even just seeing one individual kind of run a business so radically differently than we're accustomed to seeing makes me think totally differently about what's possible and the type of business that that I could run. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I follow 
done. Um, <laughs> I, Katie, I am, I know I said this at the beginning, I'm such a fan of yours. Your content is so thoughtful and well-researched and oh, um, just of such a high quality. It's so, I've learned so much. I enjoy the learning so much. You are so gifted at this. Um, and so, so you guys, for saying we that. are going to link to everything, um, everything Money with Katie in the show notes. Go follow her. Um, she's really fun. And also you're going to learn so much. I'm just so grateful that you came on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This was truly a pleasure. Friend, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Don't forget that if you ever want to find the links for any of the things that we talked about in our Girls' Night episodes, you can always find those in our show notes. Just head over to girlsnightpodcast.com and you'll find links for everything, including links for every single one of our guests so you can follow along with all the great stuff they're doing. Now, before you go, I have a small favor to ask. Would you take just one quick second to think of someone in your life who might benefit from this episode or from the Girls' Night podcast as a whole? You can share a screenshot or copy the link from your favorite podcast player. I know that recommendations from my friends are my favorite way to find anything new, but especially new podcasts. And I would be so honored if you take a second to pass this one on. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. I'll see you then.